how unshakable faith and profound intimacy with God is formed in troubled times. Um, often we infer the goodness of God on our good situations. So if something good is happening in our lives, we got a promotion, uh, we fell in love, we had a child, we had a great meal, someone said something nice to us. Uh, we infer the goodness of God onto that situation. Oh God, thank you for, for this. I see how good you are. God's taking care of me. Um, the problem with that is uh, that when things go badly or not the way that we want, we don't know where God's goodness has gone and we begin to doubt God's goodness. The, the, the secular question, which many of us have still in our hearts uh, every now and then, and the echo of it at least, is how can a good God let bad things happen to people? Or how can a loving God let uh, people suffer? Uh, it's that kind of question. Well, is God still good? Is He still loving? Because the situation isn't good. Um, and so doubts can creep in. And we're not uh, often very honest about the doubts that we have. We kind of hide them. And I think sometimes there can be a dangerous spiral. This all happens unconsciously, of course. None of us uh, do this intentionally. And the spiral goes something like this. Undesirable circumstances occur. Something happens in our lives. And it creates within us a, a silent, uncomfortable doubt. Where is God? Um, how come God's not coming through for me? Uh, how can God allow this? Some kind of question that we don't verbalize and we don't actually answer, but we leave it as kind of a crack in our faith. That keeps boring down into our hearts until it gets to a low-level guilt where we start feeling bad about doubting. That's why we don't say anything because... Uh, I shouldn't think this way. I should know better. I should be more mature. I should, what, you know, and we just kind of, it becomes this low level guilt that we bear inside. And it ends in silence, but a deterioration of our faith. And today we're going to look at Habakkuk because he's the honest prophet. He's the one who's never been told to be silent. He doesn't know how to be silent uh, when he doubts God. And he's going to show us how not to go down the spiral, but to kind of speak up and how God actually intends to use uh, situations so that we might grow our faith instead of diminish it. Habakkuk 1 verse 1 says this, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Now God's speaking back to Habakkuk. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth. And listen to how poetic God answers back to him. To seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. And at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. And then Habakkuk replies, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. What is going on 
in Habakkuk's world. Uh, he's going to show us three things. Over the weeks, we, we're, going to, we're going to see three habits that we can keep that grow us in our faith, that grow an unshakable faith and a profound intimacy with God. And today we're going to look at Habakkuk's honest prayer. Here's a guy who prays super honestly. And there's three um, there's, there's kind of three things you need, three elements, features of an honest prayer that we can learn. And uh, that's what I want you to, to hear and to learn this morning. Three features of honest prayer. Number one is you have to see the world as it is. Number two is you have to see yourself as you are. And number three is you must see God as He really is. Okay, so number one, see the world as it really is. When you look into the world... You may find places where the wicked are ruling over the righteous. It's just not fair. Um, but Habakkuk's not actually looking into the world. Habakkuk's looking into Israel. And you don't need to look any further than the church, the people of God, to find wickedness. And sometimes wickedness reigns. In the time that King's Cross has uh, existed in, since we started, um, almost every single evil has occurred amongst Christian leaders. And I can recount stories, horror stories, and just go one after the other. Adulteries, divorces, abuses, uh, imprisonments for uh, stealing money for their own gain. Um, if, you are not, uh, if you are on top of the world, let me just keep telling you stories about how Christian leaders have uh, been incredibly wicked and unrighteous and abused God's people and God's resources, and have been terrible examples of men and women of faith. But you don't even need to just look at the leaders themselves or those who have influence. You can look at the church itself, and you look at the people within the church, and you find people who choose the very sins we're commanded to put to death. Paul says very clearly, put these things to death. They're works of the flesh. You are now in Christ. You have the Spirit of God in you, and new power is in you. Uh, a new empowerment through the Spirit. Put uh, these things, put greed and lust and jealousy and envy and strife. Put those things to death, covetousness. And um, we don't. We, we have plenty of examples within the church of men and women who choose their idols over God day after day. Men and women who've left the church to go and give themselves to other idols. And uh, you need to look no further than the people of the church. You need to look no further than your own life, than my own life, your own heart. To find that uh, we are not always the righteous ones that we hope to be. The point is this. We have to see the world as it really is. Habakkuk doesn't have rose-tinted uh, glasses. He doesn't overlook the world. And he doesn't look into Israel and go, how beautiful are these people that God has made his own through Abraham. Uh, he doesn't, he's also not overly negative. He's not crying out, God, destroy this people, these wicked people. You've uh, called them to yourself through Abraham. And, and now look at them. They've forgotten you. Uh, he's, not, he, he's not one way or the other. He's, he's quite balanced. He, he, he knows God's love. He knows God is doing something, but he's confused. And he can see that wickedness within the people is not getting dealt with from his perspective. Um, and so it can be quite discouraging sometimes, and, and that's okay to look into the world, to see, to see what seems like God's, you know, God is powerless, the church seems powerless, uh, your life seems powerless, your faith seems powerless, the, 
the Christian leaders seem powerless, the gospel seems powerless, all these things which you believe are not true, it seems as we, as we look at the evidence that we can see that at times it is true. Uh, that it's, and we get discouraged by that. And that's not bad, but that's where we go silent. That's where we hide it deep down. That's where we start to lose our faith because we don't want to share that. I think the gospel, Paul said the gospel is the power of God. And I've got this uh, sneaky little thought that maybe it's not. I feel like as I look in the world and, you know, I've lived here for years and years and years. I haven't led a lot of people to Christ. What is going on? Maybe the gospel is not the power of God or maybe something worse. Maybe I don't know the gospel and, and, and these uh, rehearsed doubts uh, cause discouragement of our faith. And that's okay. Actually, I want to convince you today that God wants us to uh, have these difficult questions. He wants us um, to have doubts. He wants us to get to the end of ourselves as we look at the world and say it's not as we think it's meant to be. But we need to speak up like Habakkuk. And then there's... If there's no sin, if you can't think of anything like that, and you are just a righteous angel, then other things that might uh, come into your attention is that people still deal, deal with sickness, disease, poverty. Uh, Pete told me a stat today that was not uplifting, that uh, by the end of this year, 2.6 million people will be starving. Um, and every day, hundreds of thousands or, or thousands will die. Um, he's... A lot of people uh, will be in poverty and starving. And um, those are difficult things to hear. That's the reality of, of our world. And so even if it's not sin itself, there's loneliness, injustice, being maligned, being overlooked, left out of a party, not having friends, some other hard things which we feel which aren't right, but we struggle with them. Um, now, all of this may sound unnecessary. You may say, oh, I could do all of that in my sleep. I, I'm regularly negative about the world. I don't really have much hope in the world at all. Um, but what I'm trying to get to is that if we can see the world rightly, then we can respond rightly, that we don't have to stuff it down, that we can speak up and to share about the things that we see. Um, Habakkuk says this. He's uncomfortably honest, honestly. He says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? And cry to you violence. The meaning of the word violence there is like if you were getting beat up by a gang and across the road was someone who could help you and you look to them and you say, help, violence, what's happening here? I don't want it. Help me stop it. It's the desperation. He says, I cry violence. And you will not save. You just stand there watching. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you make me see these things in the world? You make me see it and then you idly look at wrong. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise so that the law is paralyzed. The law that you have given us. The law that you've told us to live by. This thing you've given us, it's paralyzed. It's useless. It's powerless to us. It's ineffective to your people. Justice never goes forth. Worse than that, when justice does go forth, it's in the hand of the wicked and therefore it goes forth perverted. When we try and, and uh, go forward, it's in a perverse way. It's not as you've called us. I mean, everything is broken. Everything's a mess. And so Habakkuk is looking into Israel and he's seeing that they have allowed themselves to drift away from God. Uh, they're not the people God has called them to. They've, be, they've, be, uh, they've been overcome by injustice and unrighteousness. Uh, power and influence are in the hands of the wicked. 
they are not they are godless people selfless uh, selfish people they've turned to themselves again um, and the law which God has given these people is not having a, its effect on their hearts and on their lives and uh, it's just an absolute mess so Habakkuk feels this disappointment very deeply let me try and translate into maybe a, a more common feeling what Habakkuk saying when he says I cry for help but you will not hear what he's saying is I turn to you. Have you ever known anyone who said, yeah, I've tried praying. I've tried God. What, they, what, they're, what they're about to say is, but God wasn't really there. And Habakkuk says, I turn to you, but you would not hear me. He says, I cried for violence, you will not save. He's saying, there was a desperation. I turned to you in desperation. I, I didn't just try this thing called prayer. I didn't just pull out my journal and my six o'clock appointment with God. I cried to you with desperation. You were the, the last resort. There was nothing after you. There was no trying anything else. You were it. You were the hope. You were what my heart was set on. I was desperate. I turned to you desperately. He says, you make me see iniquity. You idly look at wrong. And so he's I turned to you desperately and I get nothing. I'm knocking, I'm crying, I'm asking, and there's just silence in return. The first feature of honest prayer is that God forms an unshakable faith and a profound intimacy with Him in troubled times through seeing the world properly, seeing the sin, seeing the brokenness, seeing the mess that's there so that we can cry out. Secondly, it's to see ourselves as we really are. You need to see yourself as you really are. Uh, Habakkuk, um, be, because he cries out and because he is really sincere and, and humble in his cry out to God, he's able to hear God respond to him. And the perspective that God brings back, I, I haven't really meditated on this verse before preparing this sermon, but it's one of the funniest uh, verses I think I've read in a while, not for Habakkuk, but just to read uh, for myself. Um, so Habakkuk comes to this place right of desperation. Now he's ready. It's a canvas. God, he's, a, he's in a place of desperation. He's where God wants him so that God can now speak to him. He's got an open ear, open heart. He's got nothing left. He's let go of everything else. He, he's in this place of brokenness, of nakedness. And now God can really uh, start working on his heart. Let me just pause there to say, if you, um, if you don't know suffering, you, you will at some stage. It's God's wonderful tool of opening up our hearts not that god inflicts it not that god enforces it not that god is narcissistic not that he's uh he he, he uh he wants to cause you pain but knowing that uh taking away all these things we lean on all these things we hope in all these things that we wrap ourselves in for comfort as those are stripped away and it's just us naked and bare in the cruelty of the world god has a canvas in which he can speak and god says to him uh, sorry, and, and so we stuck within the limits of our own understanding. And here's some of them. Time. We measure the realities in very small spaces of time. Our whole lifetime, our history, recorded history, those are very small spaces of time. God measures them outside of time in all of eternity. But we can't see outside of the time that we can understand. And so we measure what God is doing within our time frames. Uh, we're like children. That one thing is immediately all the time. Mom says she's going to bake us a cake. We want the cake. 
where you don't want the process, the time that it takes. And with God, uh, time can sometimes be generations that He works things out. Uh, perspective. We hold a few pieces of this infinite puzzle, but we look at these one or two pieces that we can see clearly, and there's a gazillion other pieces to show us the whole picture, but we think that our one or two piece, piece, uh, pieces show us the whole picture, and we kind of put God in the dock and we accuse Him uh, with the pictures that we have, not realizing there's another million pieces that we can't see. Uh, personality has bearing on our perspective. We, none of us have a true north personality. None of us drift towards God. We all have a bend towards our will and our ways. The scriptures say, your will is not my will. Your ways are not my ways. Uh, as best as I try, I'm just a little bit off of north and I've got to accept that. And then there's idolatry. Uh, of we view goodness and badness often in the way that uh, improves our own lives and our own lifestyles. Uh, and so uh, we kind of bent on our own idolatry of what we think God should do, be doing for us. Those are some limitations. And then God tells Habakkuk, he says this, listen to him. <laughs> this is what I find so funny. I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. In other words, he's saying, Habakkuk, your brain is so small. If I even told you what I was doing, you wouldn't be able to understand it. I've since uh, this, I've loved uh, being able to use this with my children. Uh, not there, they have similar limitations to what I do, but I'm slightly older and more mature and wiser. So I've enjoyed using this and being able to say, your brain is too small to understand what I'm trying to tell you. Um, it's such a fun thing to say. And, and it's such a fun thing to hear uh, God say that Habakkuk, 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 I could tell you exactly what I was doing, but you don't have the bandwidth between your ears to comprehend, to understand to take it in. It would be like a uh, university level math class given to three-year-olds. You're hearing it, but you're not getting it. And uh, it's just, there's this like, woof. I remember being in university uh, when I was in Bible college and there was a particularly prideful student that was very smart, smarter than I'll ever be, and kept uh, digging at the professor to try and show that they were smarter than the professor. And uh, eventually one day, he just uh, put on his boxing gloves. He took our education to another level, showed that he was teaching way below his level to, at, our, at our kind of vista. He just said a few things, and I never heard her ask another question in class again. He just kind of flexed and uh, showed his intellect, and she went quiet. She, got, she was humbled. In the same way God's doing something like this, Habakkuk, boom, you can't understand if I told you. And that puts Habakkuk in a position of humility to go, oh yeah, right, all of my complaints are within my own perspective. They're within my own limitations. They're within my own understanding. But God's just shown me that I'm looking at a, at a microscopic dot and He's looking at this whole universal mega picture. And God unpacks it for him beyond his comprehension. Um, and so basically it comes down to this. The second point of seeing ourselves rightly is that we have to get to a point where, where we hear God asking us the question, will you trust me? You're not going to understand me. You're not going to comprehend what I'm doing. I'm not even going to bother laying it out for you. Because that's what we want. We want God to explain everything He's doing to us. He just says, will you trust me? In the absence of being able to understand me, will you trust me? So that's what happens when we begin to see ourselves rightly. We fall in, we come to a place where we have to decide, you know what? I trust God. When I was questioning my faith, 
Uh, I heard Michael Eaton, I, I feel like he said it straight to me, but it could have been a recording that just was so personal, it, got, it felt like he was speaking to me. And I remember him saying, uh, every single doctrine of God, every belief we have in God has to end in mystery or it's not from God, it's man-made. Man, in other words, he said, man can't create something it can't understand. And God is beyond our understanding, therefore how could we create Him? In saying that, realizing the, the questions I had were the questions that sat at the tips of my, my brain, my head, my understanding. That's where my doubts were. But that's exactly where I needed to get to realize everything about God, the mysteries of God, the, the things I can't understand. Uh, I can't understand because God is God. And I'm left with this question, Mark, will you trust me? And it's a wonderful place. And you begin to stumble into unshakable faith. I trust God, not because I understand Him. I trust Him because He is God and I am not. So that's number two. Number three, you see God as He really is. We'll go through this one quickly. Um, Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting? Um, O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. Now here, here, here's the thing. Listen to this. I'm going to say the same sentence, slightly different each time. Uh, this is Nasia. She is a wife. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my wife's name is Nasia. This is Nasia. She's a wife. It's slightly different to this is Nasia. She is my wife. This is Ezekiel, Ella, Shiloh, and Liberty. They are someone's children. This is Ezekiel, Ella, Shiloh, and Liberty. They are my children. This is uh, Pete, Stash, Kay. They're in the room. Yeah. They are uh, someone's friends. This is Pete, Stash, Kay in the room here. They are my friends. Every now and then someone says something that gets, puts chills, uh, good ones, good chills down my back. Um, it just blows my mind. I was, I was raised in a, a, a group of churches where you never call the pastor pastor. You always just use their first name, which I appreciate and like. But every now and then someone doesn't know the rule and they introduce me. Uh, they don't say uh, to a friend, they don't say, hey, this is Mark. He's a pastor. They would actually feel quite insulting and distant. But they say, this is Mark. He's my pastor. And when they say that, I almost melt away in privilege. It's so humbling and terrifying at the same time. Um, what is the difference if I wish we were face to face because then I could see if you're getting it. Do you see the difference is the ownership. It's the word my and the translators, the, the commentators say that this is a deeply intimate uh, response that Habakkuk is giving to God with all of his brokenness, all of the mess that he sees. Then he's been humbled by God to just trust him. His response is, um, oh, Lord, my God, not oh, Lord, God. Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One. You will find in Scripture, the Lord God, the Holy One. You'll find that. You will really find the Lord, my God, my Holy One. There's intimacy. He's stumbled into uh, an unshakable faith and he's stumbling now into intimacy. He's starting to see God as God really is. In other words, here's the crux of it. He's no longer trying to use God to get good things, to look at Israel and see the goodness in Israel and go, oh God, you are good. Israel's good. He's now just seeing God as beautiful. You are my Holy One. You are my Lord God. Israel's a mess. Uh, the church may be a mess. Uh, my life may be a mess, but you are the beautiful one. You are the Holy One. You are the everlasting one. And he's found himself in the beauty of God. Um, and so God 
this Holy One has a solution to the world. And uh, Habakkuk says, we shall not die. Even though the Chaldeans, here's, here's God's plan. The Chaldeans were a more wicked nation. They were one of the most wicked nations. And so God was saying, I'm going to deal with the evil in Israel by raising up a greater evil nation to overcome it and to humble it and to undo it. And, uh, but Habakkuk can say in the presence of God, my Holy One, we shall not die. He's understanding God's going to discipline them, but he's understanding something about life that's found in God as well. And I don't think Habakkuk understood the profundity of the words that he was saying and how they would be satisfied by Jesus Christ. Uh, and let me show you how that happens. Number one, Jesus saw the world as it really was. Both Luke and John record Jesus uh, walking uh, along and looking over Israel and uh, beginning to weep as he saw the faithlessness of his people, as he saw the wickedness of the people. Jesus was not rose-tinted lenses. Jesus was not uh, depressed and disempowered by what he saw, the evil in, within Israel. Jesus was compassionate and broken when he saw the faithlessness of Jerusalem and it caused him to weep. He saw the mess. He saw it as it really was. But secondly, Jesus saw himself as he really was. Jesus was caught in a soul-destroying darkness. On his knees, stressed out, anxious, sweat, blood coming out of his sweat glands, uh, mixing with his sweat. Jesus cries out because he knows his limitations as a man. Come, having come as a man, he sees himself as he is. There's a humility and he says, if it is possible, take this cup from me. In other words, God, I, I can't comprehend everything that you could do from the outside in. But I'm committed to your plans. I'm committed to your will. I can't see everything. If it's possible, take this cup from me. Not my will, but yours be done. God didn't give him a direct answer, but by not giving him a direct answer, he gave him an indirect one. No, Jesus, this is the way. There's a humility there. A humility to go, uh, God, you're, you, I trust you. I, I trust your plan. I trust your will. And he gave himself humbly to his human limitations. But then number three, Jesus saw God as he really was. At the cross is where justice and mercy finally meet. For us, the cross is grace, it's forgiveness, it's mercy, it's beauty, it's a welcome sign, it's a warmth, it's God's arms stretched out for us. The cross was not like that for Jesus. It was merciless. It was an injustice. It was pain. It was suffering. It was horrific. Um, but there we hear him. The last point, just like uh, Habakkuk, the honest, this honest prayer, uh, we hear Jesus saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the, the, his faith is not, a, is not shaken. He's got this unshakable faith. And he's crying out for intimacy in this troubled time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It would be a very different cry, God, God. Why have you forsaken me? And even in uh, this great suffering, he lacks no faith. And then he's with his final breath. And this is my own paraphrase of the verse, but it's very close. I just want to draw out its meaning a little bit deeper. He says, Father, I put my breath into your hands. It's the, it's the, that's, what he's, that's the uh, translation of the words that he used. God, Father, into, I put my breath into your hands. And he exhaled and expired. 
Father, I put my, he's suffocating on the cross, he's dying. I put my breath into your hands. I've got one breath left. I've got, I'm not going to be able to uh, fill my lungs with air again. This is it. My final breath, my final exhale. I put it into your hands. <sighs> and Jesus died. He entrusted himself to the Father. The profound, unshakable faith. The deep intimacy in those final moments to say, God, where else would I put my life? But in your hands, and just like Habakkuk, we shall not die. Jesus said, my life is in your hands. Jesus is on the cross in absolute weakness and dependency. When Jesus has got nothing, there's nothing he can do. There's no sermon he can give. Uh, He's powerless to act. He's dying upon the cross. He's got literally naked, uh, bare with nothing to give. What he can do is he can put his life in the hands of God. And that's what God uses troubled times for in our lives. To take our lives to the point where through Jesus, because Jesus could put his life in the hands of God when he was most vulnerable. More vulnerable than you and I will ever be. Because Jesus did that for us. He empowers us to do that as well. How do we get an unshakable faith and a profound intimacy with God? Through the same Uh, pathway as Jesus through coming to a point where eventually in our brokenness and our weakness and our dependency we say God I see the mess but I trust you and my life is in your hands honest prayer says Paul Paul prayed like this sorry Paul, Paul had this unshakable faith and profound intimacy listen to him in light of that he said I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither fears for today nor worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord unshakable faith profound intimacy he wasn't just saying nothing can separate us from god's side paul was saying nothing can separate me from god from my side nowhere ever can we be separated from god's love paul has become completely dependent his life made bare he's chosen to trust and now his life is in the hands of god honest prayer says i see my brokenness i see the brokenness of the world the church my life where are you god where are you i don't understand i don't get it It's okay. It's okay to say that. Then it says, I see my limited understanding and my finite view. There's humility. God, I see I can't understand what you're doing, but I choose to trust you. And then it says, I see through through the cross that you are infinitely good and wise and loving. And at the right time, you will do what's necessary to preserve life, to bring life, and to judge the world. You are my God. And we will not die. Unshakable faith. Profound intimacy. Says God you are my life. In troubled times. You can't get there without a little bit of trouble. You won't get there without a No one goes looking for that kind of trouble. But God uses it to build an unshakable faith. And a profound intimacy. Listen to Oswald Chambers. And then we're going to go into our breakout rooms. To pray for each other. To pray about the brokenness. To entrust ourselves to God. To ask God to help us rest in Christ. Say, you are my God. Oswald Chambers said this. A saint's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow 
in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. There's point number two. But our Lord continues to stretch and strain. And every once in a while, the saint says, I can't take anymore. That's the suffering. Yet God pays no attention. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight. Until he's made us what he wants to make us. And then he lets go the arrow to fly. Entrust yourself to God's hands. Is there something in your life in which you need honest prayer to pray honestly now? Proclaim as Job did, though he slay me, yet I will trust.